Okay, welcome to another edition of the Edlow Podcast. Tonight it is just me. Uh, I say tonight because it is late. I just got back from the Kings Clippers game after also seeing the clip uh, the Kings Warriors game last night, which was absolutely phenomenal. Tonight, not so much, but if you know anything about the NBA, you know about basketball. Tonight was basically a scheduled loss. I mean, back-to-backs traditionally, the teams who are playing them, uh, you know, are going to lose. And on top of that, um, as hard as the Kings worked against the Warriors to pull off that game, winning that game by one point, moving on to the play-in or in in the uh, in-season tournament to the quarterfinals, and I mean that that Warriors Kings rivalry is that's starting to bud since the last playoffs is really exciting. Uh, there's just no way that they were going to be able to take on, in my mind, no way that they were going to be able to take on Kawhi Leonard, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and James Harden. It just it just wasn't in the cards. As, as a Kings fan, I got to say, I'm very, very excited about the ma- the changes they made. Um, Sasha, I keep getting his name wrong. Um, uh, Sasha Vashankov, I mean, he's he's developing. He's starting to come into his own. First few games was a little eek. Um, they're doing this without Keegan Murray, who I think is a perennial all-star in a couple of years. I mean, with, with them signing Sabonis and Fox, I do believe, you know, to long-term deals, I do believe that. Fox, Sabonis, and Murray are the big three of Sacramento, and it's cool that it's kind of homegrown. Not not completely, but but kind of. I'm really just excited about the little changes they made, signing Harrison Barnes to a long-term deal at the price that they did. They just made a, a lot of deals that made a lot of sense. Not to say there's not some tweaks that need to be made. Oh, JaVale McGee. I really like that pickup as well. Um, get some championship caliber and and a big there. So, yeah, you know, good stuff. I took my daughter to this game. It was the first game she's been at all season. And, uh, yeah, she ended up walking away. The My my ticket guy gave her a free Sabonis jersey for no apparent reason, um, which I thought was really cool. And she, you know, they, they were throwing shirts in the crowd. She got a shirt. They were giving out hats. I mean, she basically walked away with a whole wardrobe. So she was pretty excited about it, even though the Kings got – absolutely demolished so fun night but makes for a late night um so yeah today you know i'm gonna do what i normally do i have actually have three different messages that came through over the last month that i'm going to address and then a bunch of uh, anonymous anonymous things that came through on that little app i use if you ever want to submit an anonymous comment or question you can usually at the end of the month is when i do these and if you follow me on instagram and facebook i'll post the link probably like a day or two before it'll be released so just be on the lookout for it and you can submit a question or you can always just directly message me or email me your question i promise that whatever you send out there i won't judge and uh it, it comes out anonymous um so um Okay, let's just get straight to the Q&A. All right. You should be my bestie. How do you know we're not besties? I don't know who you are. So um, I've got a bestie. So um, unless you're 
that person. Um, yeah, good luck. But uh, yeah, there you go. All right, next. Uh, I want to be your friend so badly. Well, I don't know why you don't think you are my friend. Um, I don't know who you are, but if you did something to not be my friend, um, that might be the reason why you're not. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't have anybody. Maybe one person in the world. Well, a couple people in the world that. Uh, okay. Well, maybe there's a handful. There's probably a lot more people than I'm being honest about that uh, that I just I can't be friends with. Um, and they know who they are. Um, so, uh, if you're on that list, that's the breaks. If you're not, uh, I don't know why you don't think you are. So feel free to come talk to me about it. Okay. What are you doing? I am recording a podcast late at night after two Kings games in a row, which, um, are fun. Back-to-backs are a little bit hard, quite frankly. Uh, coordinating, getting my kids where they need to go, and getting off of work and doing all that, it's tough, but it's fun. I uh, the, <clears throat> the season ticket thing is actually really cool for me just because it's a good excuse for me to get one-on-one time. In fact, I'll just say this, you know, tonight, Lexi was uh, both nights, actually, last night and tonight. Um both of the kids, Lincoln and Lexi, who went, they started off in, a, 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 let's just say, an emotionally foul mood. Lots of stuff that happened in the last week or two. That traumatic stuff that uh, came kind of from the outside. That you know we're uh, that we're working through, and so they were struggling. But uh, the cool thing about it is, is they. They were able, we were able to have a talk about focusing on what you can control and being grateful for the things you have. And by the end, especially tonight, Lexi was, she was struggling a bit. Um, and then by the end of the night, she just would not stop talking. And uh, which I love, I love because it's fun to get her talking about the things that are important to her school friends, you know, um, theater what she worries about, what makes her anxious, what she thinks she's doing well. It's just fun. So that's what I'm doing. How are you today? Um, man, we have, we just have some big, big, uh, big, important anonymous questions today. Um, I am doing fine. Um, I, I'm sure that was very convincing. It's actually been a rough day. Uh, nothing huge, just, you know, dealing with a lot of stuff when you, when you manage people, um, in your life and then also in your job or in other places, um, you got to manage these personalities all the time that makes it a little, it's a bit of a struggle sometimes. And I, unfortunately I had to deal with that a little bit more today than I normally do, which I don't like to do because it takes the focus away from the work. Um, but other than that, doing fine, I'm very blessed. I've had there's a lot of things I could be grateful for, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Okay. I really like you. Okay. So these aren't questions, but I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I, I appreciate, um, I appreciate the gesture. It, it, it actually does. I, I know I kid, but, um, uh, I appreciate it. 
I haven't seen you in so long. So when you send these anonymously, you can't fix these problems. So, um, so yeah, hopefully, you know, reach out to me. Um, I don't have a lot of time, but there are people in my life that I do try to make efforts with. I, I you know, and some of my friends, I got to say, like, I might be a bad responder, texter, I might say, hey, by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to call you at this time or whatever. And then I get caught up in something and then I don't. I think right now I have like a hundred and something text messages, the unread text messages. Um, and uh, just know that, uh, that I know I'm bad at it, but I do care. So um, there's that. All right. Who is your fav favorite indie wrestler and why is it Trip Rogers? <laughs> I, okay. So legit on a shoot and, and wrestlers know what I, mean by that trip rogers is actually one of my favorite indie wrestlers and uh he gets it you know he i'm telling you he gets it he understands what to do in the ring and this is gonna i mean this this is probably the place where people aren't wrestling fans are gonna be like all right i'm gonna fast forward or turn this off go ahead and fast forward if it doesn't matter to you but for the wrestling fans there's just little things little things that he does uh, and I see a little bit of that also in his tag partner, JMM. I think I'm saying that right. I've only seen him once or twice. Like, I'll give you an example. And this is kind of pulling the curtain behind, but I was watching Trip wrestle uh, in a tag match, actually, with uh, um, at that next level uh, pro wrestling. And he was wrestling these two cowboys. Um, I know there's there's a little bit of heat there or whatever not from trip but i mean like and anyway and in the match um you know trip is the heel and he's working this cowboy down and uh and the cowboy comes up and he gives him a little bit of a false comeback and when trip cuts him off he then changed speeds for a couple of minutes and just started wailing on the guy right that type of stuff is the little stuff that matters right he did that and i just thought to myself man like he understands right because it's this guy got a little bit of a you know he got a little bit of an edge trip recognized it a little shocked by it so started you know going faster on him for a minute and then took his time and it's just little stuff like that he understands the the ring psychology uh, I don't think he knows how good he really is, um, but I know that a, a lot of others do. Some of my other favorite indie wrestlers, I'll just talk about people that, that I've booked that I love. I will book Johnny Butabi every show if he's available. Um, Mike Rain. Um, they're both just awesome. I, I booked them. Quite frankly, it became a running joke that when I was running SWF shows, Johnny Butabi versus Mike Rain was on every single show because uh, it was just so entertaining and they were so good at it. Dark Sheik is great. Knows what, you know, knows what she's doing. Um, you know, the, and these are some of the older. I mean, everybody knows Chupacabra can put a match on um, all over the place. Um, I love, I love Derevko. Love Derevko just because I just love Derevko. He's fun. So there's a lot of there's a lot of guys out there that I think are good on the on the uh, female side. 
love uh christina von erie brooke havoc has been fun to watch um and so yeah i mean a lot of good talent out there if you want to go see indie wrestling you, you really can't go wrong right now um okay what's the one thing you hate to hear um when you're interviewing a new attorney oh that's interesting this is going to sound weird but i think the one thing that annoys me the most is when they say they want work-life balance now i want to make it very clear that does not mean that i don't want them to want to have time to enjoy things that they enjoy um or that they um uh, that i don't want them to spend time with their families or their kids or anything like that but what do you really mean when you say i want work-life balance and what really is work-life balance so do you mean does that mean you don't want to work more than 40 hours a week because that ain't going to fly if you want to work as a, as a personal injury attorney who actually goes and tries cases that's that's not going to happen right um at least not off the bat and really not ever okay i mean if you're doing it right so um so so there's that and the other thing is also is like i work hard i work a lot of hours and i got a lot of other interests and i got four kids that are all very very busy so i do all of those things i work hard i'm there for my kids i'm there doing all of these other things so do i have good work-life balance like you can be an A plus father and be an A plus attorney. You can. It's possible. You just have to schedule your time. That doesn't mean that you are going to be able to stream all your favorite shows and go to the movies all the time and that you're going to be able to, you know, uh, you know, go do something at three o'clock in the afternoon every day. Uh, you know, that's not possible necessarily but you can schedule time to go to your kids basketball game or football game you can uh you know I, listen i'm i'm up at 4 45 every single morning hit the gym get my kids ready do all that stuff go to work go to you know get to extracurriculars i very rarely do i miss a uh an extracurricular event or any of that of that stuff i'm still able to go to concerts go on trips go on work conferences i get it all done but it's busy and it's tiring so yeah when i hear someone who says i want work-life balance it tells me i'm not willing to put in the work i need to be successful uh if you disagree you can tell me but that's just my experience so um as someone who's seen a lot of attorneys come and go Okay, let's see what this next one. My friend has had a crush on you for the longest time. Um, well, tell your friend thank you. I'm I'm flattered. Um, that's it. Okay, uh, let's see. um this is an interesting one could you share your testimony um yeah i'll share a bit of my testimony sure um 
So I would say, let me talk about the moment when I knew that uh, the church was true and that Jesus was the Christ. Um, and this is just my own personal experience. It's different for everybody. If you're a non-believer, um, you can think what you want about it. This is just my experience. So um, I served a mission in Indiana. I started in May, May 24th, 2000 is the day I left for the Mission Training Center in Provo, Utah. And I spent three weeks there. And in June, I went to Indiana. I ended up in Indianapolis. They picked me up from the airport. I had never experienced humidity like that in my life. And the very next day, I ended up in a little area called Fall Creek, which is right in the heart of the worst part of Indianapolis. And it was a very small branch, 30, 30 members, most of them newer members. So they didn't have a lot of experience um, in church leadership or anything like that. They had to set what calls what we call satellite in people for leadership, meaning they didn't live in the technically in the congregation boundaries, but they brought them in from other wards to kind of help build the ward up. So there was there was 30 members there. And um, uh, a lot of apostolic Pentecostal background. So, so church was interesting. We met at the third floor of an office building. And when I got there, um, my companion, I asked him, I was like, when's the last time that, uh, that there had been a baptism in our, in our area? And he said, it's been about five years. And he said, well, I should say uh, about a month ago, we had someone who, who we baptized, but he got arrested before we could get him confirmed. Um, so that was where I was. And because the membership was so small, um, there was not a lot of membership work to do. So there was a lot of tracting. For those of you who aren't members of the church, what that means is literally just going around and knocking door to door inviting people to hear your message of religion and Jesus Christ. And so for probably three or four weeks, every day, 10, 11 hours a day, we were knocking doors in the heat, in the humidity, in white shirts and ties and black pants, riding bikes all over the place. I had to learn how to ride a bike, by the way. That's another story that has nothing to do with it. But so I had to do that. And we were just getting nowhere. Rejection time after time after time. And then sometimes when we would talk to people, they were they were very, I mean, we're that's at the north of the Bible Belt. So everybody there who had religious views had very staunch religious views. And they would argue with us. And it it seemed to me as though their they were just as sure about their version of christianity as we were of ours now up until this point i would say that i had a testimony but it was a very loose testimony and was probably um more of a social testimony and um more of a testimony that was reliant on others so this was the first time, and I'd never had like, I, I mean, I had prayed before, you know, 
there's the Moroni's promise in uh, in Moroni chapter 10, verses three through five, where it says, if you pray, ponder and pray, um, and you, you know, read these things, ponder them in your hearts and ask God if they're true. Um, you know, that he'll manifest the truth of it to you. He'll, he'll tell you whether it's true or not. So I'd done that, but I'd never had a necessarily overwhelming con confirmation of, of those things. So I just kind of went through the motions and went, and I wasn't necessarily even the strongest member. I mean, I did a lot of things that I don't, I know my bishop and stake president weren't super proud of. And um, so anyhow, here I am doing these things and I started really kind of struggling. And uh, we were sitting at lunch one day, or maybe it was, nah, I don't think it was. Yeah, it was. We were, it was lunch. We were sitting there, me and my companion, this guy I'd known for three weeks, Jason Norris, who is seriously one of the most seminal people in my life, one of the most important people in my story. Um, and this is one of the many reasons for that. So I just, he could tell that something was wrong. And he said, uh, what's up, Elder Edlow? And uh, I said, uh, you know, how do we really know this is true? And he goes, well, what do you mean? And I go, well, we go and we talk to these people and they just seem to be just as, you know, just as, you know, sure about their religion as ours. They are just as sure that the Book of Mormon isn't true and Joseph Smith wasn't a prophet that we are when we tell them that, you know, he is and that the Book of Mormon is true. <clears throat> so he looked at me and he goes, well, Elder, let me ask you a question. What do we ask people to do when they ask us whether what we're teaching them is true? And I said, well, we ask them to uh, pray about it. And he dropped to his knees right there and said, will you pray with me right now and ask God if Jesus is the Christ and whether uh, the Book of Mormon is true? And I was pretty shocked because I was not expecting that. And uh, I felt kind of dumb as I was getting on my knees because I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm a missionary for the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. How is it that I am possibly in a position on my mission to be asking God, if these things are true, how'd I get here? Right. But something was different this time about the prayer. You know, I talked about Moroni 10, three through five, where essentially for those of you who don't know, it's a, Moroni is a book in the Book of Mormon, which is another testament of Jesus Christ. It's a companion to the Bible, different people, different continent. Uh, there's a there's a book in that book uh, in chapter ten and verses three through five, a promise that Moroni the prophet gives, which says that if you, he um, says, if you read these things and you ponder them in your heart, I implore you to ask God with real intent, whether they're true. And if you ask with a sincere heart with real intent, uh, he'll tell you whether it's true or not. Obviously paraphrasing. And so I think the difference in this prayer was the part about the real intent. Sometimes, this is just the gospel according to Josh Edlow, this may not be true at all, but this is what I think. Sometimes I think that 
God doesn't answer prayers because we may not be ready for the answer or we don't really want to know for whatever reason. This time I wanted to know. And as I knelt down, I remember thinking to myself, I remember thinking to myself, okay, um, I can't be middle of the road anymore. This prayer, and I just said this before I said the prayer out loud, I was saying this to myself, and it was almost like, almost maybe a conversation with God to myself that my companion couldn't hear. But I remember thinking to myself that day, I said, this is it. Whatever I, whatever answer I get, I'm following it. If I get the answer that this isn't true, I'm leaving today. I'm going home. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm moving on. But if I do, then I'm committed. I'm doing the whole two years and I'm doing it balls to the wall. I didn't even get through the prayer and I got my confirmation that it was true and it was undeniable. And so with tears in my eyes, I looked at my companion and I just said, let's get to work. And I committed that day to myself that I was going to commit for that entire two years, every ounce of energy I have. And that moment changed my life because I believed it and I still do. And that is one of many experiences like that, some of which I don't ever discuss because there's just too, too, too personal. <clears throat> and so when you talk about my testimony, there's something that I learned that day. And it wasn't just that, you know, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the true church on the earth. It, it, it gave me an understanding of the Savior, Jesus Christ. It was the first time that I realized that if every other person other than me was perfect, and I was the only one that needed it, Jesus would have gone through that atonement specifically for me. I felt that he knew me by name. He knew my issues. He knew who I was, that he loved me, and that I was exactly in the place that he wanted me to be, even if it wasn't the place that I exactly wanted to be. And I have noticed that in my life, since that time, I have had all sorts of plans that I thought was going to happen. And every time those plans didn't happen, I got real angry. I got real, uh, sometimes even a little bitter. But man, he always puts you in the place that you need to be to truly be happy. And so um, that moment was so important to me because since then I've gone through all sorts of crazy stuff. I mean, anybody... You know, I tell my I tell my kids when they get dramatic and they're like, "This is the worst day of my life," and I was just like, "Worst day of your life so far," <laughs> you know. Like, hate to tell you, it, it don't it don't, you know, 
peaks and valleys. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's worse than what you're feeling now, right? But the great thing is, is that the Savior is always there and that atonement that he has can right any wrong. And it's not just about your, it's not just about your sins. It's not just about the wrong things that you do. It's so much, it's not about just saying, oh, you're, you're forgiven of those things. It's also a healing power to right the wrong that you can't right. It's it's the it's healing of your he didn't just take your sins he took your your sadnesses your sicknesses your weaknesses he took on your depression your anxiety your you know all of these things he took them on so that he can succor you so that he could understand and you can put that on him and have peace even in those hard times and since then I've read the Book of Mormon numerous times. I've read the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, Jesus the Christ, a marvelous work and a wonder, um, uh, gospel principles. Um, I, there's a bunch of books I can't even remember. I've read everything I could get my hands on for you know to learn about the Savior. And there's one thing that I always come back to, and that is the Savior loves you even if nobody else does. He loves you. He wants you. And you matter. And that is amazing. And so uh, there's not a lot of things I know in life. <clears throat> but the one thing I do know is that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. And that salvation can come through him. And so that's my testimony. Thanks for asking. I haven't shared that in a long time. So thank you for asking. Um, okay. Um, have you had any recent spiritual experiences? Yeah, you know, I did actually, it was really interesting because, um, I was, I had a Sunday not too long ago. It was uh, actually our primary program and I only have one kid left in primary. And I was thinking about that. I was like, oh my goodness. I only have one, you know, one of my biological kids that are still, uh, you know, still there. And, uh, and that was just crazy to me. And so, but I remember it was just having a really kind of a rough day, you know, some stuff had happened and, and uh, the kids started singing a child's prayer. <clears throat> and, um, I encourage you, if you don't know what that is, you could just Google it. You can listen to it. I'm sure it's on Spotify somewhere or Apple Music or whatever you listen to, YouTube. And um, it just reminded me that God's there. So, yeah. And those are the things, right? Like those are the those are the things that are most important. I, I shared this big testimony building, huge moment where kind of life-changing moment. Most of the time when the spirit hits you, it's not like that. It's little things like that. Just something to get you through something hard. Or even not hard, just kind of annoying, bothering, right? Okay. Um, let's see. How do you deal with 
people spreading rumors about you or saying bad things about you. Uh, stop caring. Uh, I mean, think about this. Why, why would you care about what someone thinks about you who doesn't know you or who doesn't really know you or doesn't really care about you, who doesn't have your best interest at heart? Like, I, I don't understand why we care. If you are comfortable with where you're at, if you're comfortable with what you're doing, if you think that what you're doing is the best route for you and yours and the best route and you've thought it through and you've really, you know, come through it, what do you care about some person who doesn't know your story and doesn't understand where you're coming from saying something that's probably not true? Or even if it is, who cares? So, yeah, stop caring. Let's see. Okay. Um, what is something about guys you don't understand? Um, spinning in urinals. I don't get it. What? What? What is that? Why? What is that? And and for for you know the lady folk out there who are wondering what I'm talking about. No, literally, what I'm talking about is before some guy goes the bathroom he'll spit in the urinal I, I i don't can anyone explain that to me send me a message i'm gonna I'll, I'll explain it in my next just me next month because i don't get it anyhow okay now um let's see what do we have next what do you think of cm punk's return I thought it was kind of lame to overshadow Randy Orton's return. Okay. Um, good. I, okay. I don't think, so this is like armchair booker, right? Like I'm going to tell the WWE how they're supposed to run their business. Look, I, in my opinion, I understand what you're saying. Like, did it overshadow Randy Orton and all that? Yeah, sure. It did. Um, but, uh, uh, and, and you, you know, I think in the best of circumstances, you'd like those to come separately, but I mean, that was a lightning in the bottle moment. They're in Chicago. He just came up off his non-compete. Everybody was waiting for it. The rumors have been flying. Um, I, so I was excited about the return. Now, fun fact, me and my two boys, we actually went when he returned to wrestling in AEW, we actually went, we were in the front row of rampage in Chicago when he showed, showed up. So it was a big deal for us. My kids were super stoked about it when it happened uh, this last Sunday or whenever it happened. So, and I was really excited because I thought to myself, this is going to be cool. It's going to be cool to see CM Punk work. Some of these guys, you know, um, or, or, or have promos with that Grayson Wallace guy or like, or have a, you know, he's been going back and forth with Miz for a while, Seth Rollins, like having a match, now that all these guys, the, the shield guys have kind of become the top guys. He's the one who brought him in. There's a cool story there with Seth and with, uh, with Roman reigns and like all this different stuff. Um, but I'll, I'll say that if I'm going to be critical about something, I didn't like, I, when I heard his promo and I wasn't watching it live, I, I watched it later, but his promo where he says I'm home, uh, I 
I, I kind of didn't like that. And there's a couple of things that I think I don't like about that. I, I did a podcast recently with Santino Morella, and we talked about CM Punk. And he said something that I think resonated with me. Um, he said, talking about CM Punk and Will Ospreay, he said, you know, the guys, he, he was talking about them possibly coming to Impact Wrestling, to TNA. And he said, <clears throat> um, sure, they could go and make a bunch of money in WWE and all that stuff, but I just don't know if they're that guy. We, If he was the guy, he could come to TNA and he could really lift this ship up and make it akin to AEW and help wrestling in general. And and so um, considering all of this stuff... Oh, and, and then one other thing. And then so, spoiler alert, I've actually recorded a podcast that will be released later this month with none other than Jake the Snake Roberts. And he said something interesting too about promos and, and wrestling in general. He said, if you don't believe what you're saying, if you don't believe it, you're just reading it or you go out there and you go through the motions, the people will see through it and you will lose credibility. And once you've lost your credibility, you, uh, you, you really don't have a leg to stand on. Now, I was there in the crowd when CM Punk cut a promo on the WWE and why he was gone for so long and saying things like, uh, I was never going to get better by um, staying in the place that made me sick in the first place. I remember him saying that. And it felt genuine. It felt real. And all of the stuff he said since about the way the WWE works and the way that they don't promote the right wrestlers and all this different stuff. And then for him to come back after all of that and after getting fired from AEW for bad behavior and coming back to the WWE and saying, I'm home, I just, for me, I mean, I'd love to hear him go on a podcast and explain the reasoning behind that because right now it didn't sound genuine or credible. I could be completely wrong, and he may he may be able to explain that, but just hearing it on its face, it didn't sound credible. So we'll see what happens for him. Hey, I'm excited about it. I think there's a lot of cool stuff that could happen. I'm just glad he's back in wrestling. So, okay, let's see. Um, so here, uh, I got a few different questions here that I wanted to address. Um, we'll just go right through them. I think these are these are actually some pretty good, some pretty good questions, and I'd, li I'd like to answer them. So. Josh, uh, you seem to me to be rather conservative, but yet I noticed that on podcasts in the past, you have mentioned that you do, do believe there is systemic, he says it's systematic, but it's actually systemic racism. He says, I'm curious, can you point me to the law that is racist? Because I can't find one. All right. So this is the old Ben Shapiro argument and i by the way i i like listening to ben shapiro i also listen to basim youssef and sam harris and and a lot of different guys because i love all the differing perspectives um but this is something that i think ben shapiro should know better when he says oh well where's the racist law because anybody who's taken high school government let alone being a ucla trained lawyer should know that that is not the right way to ask this. So let me just explain what I mean by that. So when you say something like, well, let's just back it up. High school civics or government class. 
three branches of government. There's the legislative branch, there's the executive branch, and there's the judicial branch. Okay. And each one is separate but equal, right? Well, not separate but equal, but separation of powers, right? They all have their parts. The legislation legislature creates the law, the executive enforces the law, the judiciary interprets the law. So they all have a different function. So when you say something like, can you point me to the law that is racist? What you are saying is, can you point me to the law that the legislator has legislature has created that is in fact racist? My answer to that is, is as far as I sit here today, I can't point to one, right? I can't point to one that on its face says black people are treated this way and white people are treated that way. That is not there. But that is not the end of the analysis. That is one branch of government. So if you're only looking at the law that's been created, you are missing the point. You're missing two-thirds of the analysis because let's look at the executive branch and enforcement. Who is the executive branch? The president, the military, and in your state, the police. The police are part of the executive branch. They're enforcing the law, right? So if a policeman with the law is arresting black people at a higher clip for the same for the same crimes or the same infractions and they are uh treating them differently if they are arresting them more if they are pulling them over more if they are treating them differently if they're letting white people go that aren't leaving letting black people go then the enforcement is racist Similarly, so and by the way, studies have shown this. Studies have shown, and they're all over the place, that show that over the country, generally, that black people are arrested and also, uh, you know, pulled over and held at a higher rate for the same infractions than white people with the same records and the same everything. When they look at them, that that's just the way it is and and that is not to say by the way that a police officer is looking that way like they're they're consciously saying that it just systemic racism isn't about necessarily intent systemic racism is about is it happening to one race over the other now same thing with the judiciary so the judiciary is not just the Supreme Court, it's also your local courts. So if a judge, if judges over the over the United States are, uh, we have these, uh, these sentencing guidelines all over the place where you look at a crime and you say, okay, this is a crime that could be five years at the low end and 15 years at the high end, right? And, uh, and they can go anywhere in between. There's all these sentencing guidelines that, that are supposed to help judges uh, determine uh, how they sentence. Well, if they are sentencing one race over another race um, uh, at a higher rate or using the max for certain races and using lower sentences for other races for the same crimes with the same records, okay, and again, this has been shown in studies, then guess what? That's racism. It's systemic. So, so the studies that I have seen have shown that black people are sentenced 
on average, three times harder than white people for the same crimes with the same records. That's systemic. So the, the law doesn't have to be on its face racist. But if, it's, but if the law is being disproportionately enforced or, sent in, or, or being interpreted harder for one race than the other, then that's systemic. Now, I'm not saying, again, that judges are doing this like in their head. They're saying, I'm going to send this guy's black. I'm going to sentence him differently. But even if it's subconscious, it's still systemic if it's happening all over and it's happening on average that much. And it is a problem. Now, here's the thing. I am not saying that means we defund the police. That doesn't mean that uh, we, you know, that that uh, uh, all cops are bad or all judges are bad or any of that stuff. It doesn't mean that we, you know, one thing or the other. I'm make, not making a value judgment on one side's decision on how we fix that or another. But what I am saying is it is an actual problem, and until we all acknowledge that it's a problem, um then I don't think there's ever going to be a fix. And here's the other thing that I kind of baffles me about this. I don't understand, and, and, and this person said I'm a conservative. I would say I am a conservative, but I don't think I am a Republican anymore. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that. So as somebody who's just looking and someone who has a degree in government um, uh, and somebody who has a law degree, um, and it has all of those things. And just looking at this, I don't understand understanding history, why the Democrats are kind of like the ones leading the charge on this one. I mean, like Republicans, your guys are the ones about limited government, right? You're the ones who are like, don't tread on me. Well, if police officers are going out and they're arresting a certain race, like a lot more, or judges are keeping people in prison longer, I would think that as the conservative who thinks about, who talks about liberty and don't tread on me, that you would, this would be what you're championing, championing, right? But anyway, I digress. So that's what I mean when I say I do believe there is systemic racism. That does, like I said, again, I'm not saying I, I throw myself in the hat with the Democrats and think that their answers to how they fix that are right. I'm just saying I acknowledge it is a problem. Okay. Um, next one, dear Josh, <clears throat> I appreciate the podcast and value your opinion on religious matters greatly. I have been struggling a little bit at church. I have a deep routed, I think it's supposed to be rooted, a deep rooted issue that I am working through. And my Bishop is really not being sympathetic to my plight. It makes me question my whole outlook on organized religion in general. There are a lot of things, actually, that make me question religion, like the Israel versus Palestine conflict. That's a whole other podcast. Uh, so my question for you is, what do you think is good religious leadership, and what do you think local bishops could do to help people better? So I don't want to comment on your bishop. I don't even know what your plight is I don't know what you're dealing with, and I don't know, you know, it's hard for me to comment not understanding what you're going through because I don't know what your deal is, you know. Um, but uh, you know, I would say that I understand that it is it is frustrating when religion isn't 
being the help that it was meant to be. And unfortunately, that does happen in some situations. So I, I feel for you there. But I would encourage you not to, to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And what I mean by that is you don't have to, to forego your entire uh, moral system or your your whole basis of, of identity as a member of the church just because you've had a bad experience with a bishop. That just just understand that just because a bishop may have a greater portion of the spirit or a certain stewardship just because of his calling, that doesn't mean that he doesn't still hold biases or or life experiences or faults that inform decisions that sometimes can be wrong. Just like any priesthood holder who is a steward over his own home as a father who would make mistakes in raising his own kids. So, and that goes, I, in my opinion, and some people think this is controversial, I think that goes from the father who has the, the stewardship over his own home all the way up to the prophet. So they're all subject to making mistakes and saying things and acting in a way that is imperfect because they're imperfect human beings. Now, to your question, about what do we do, um, uh, or, or I think your question was, let me read it again. What do you think is good religious leadership, and what do you think local bishops could do to help people better? I think what, in my experience in leadership, I think, in my experience as a member, the best leaders meet people where they are. Let me share a story with you. Uh, I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast before, but I've shared it certainly in person uh, many times. So I want to talk about my a young men's leader I had when I was a kid named Roy Sorensen. And he's local here. I think he's in the East Stake now. And a uh, super good guy. Before he became a young men's president, I knew him a little bit because I coached uh, elementary school basketball in high school, and he kind of ran the whole thing, right? So, uh, so I knew him a little bit, but then he came in and moved into our ward and he became our young men's president. And I, at the time had a reputation of being a bit rebellious, a bit rough around the edges, a little hard to get to. I didn't really listen to my leaders. Uh, you know, I had a streak of rebellion in me. And so Roy came in and He'd been, I, I can't even remember how long he'd been there, just a few weeks. And we were doing, we did a planning meeting, like we had everybody come together and plan what they wanted to do. And one day he came up to me and he just said, uh, Josh, I, I hear you're a wrestler. And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I've been training in pro wrestling. And he goes, uh, what do you think about doing a backyard wrestling mutual night? And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah. What, what do you think? And I was like, um, yeah, I would absolutely, yes, let's, yes, let's do that, right? And I had a buddy of mine, Gil Nunez, who was living with me at the time. And, you know, he also trained a little bit uh, less than me. But, you know, when my training, when my training facility that I was going to shut down, I was trying to teach Gil everything I knew in my backyard, right? We were just kind of goofing around with a little mattress. 
So, so Roy put it together. He's like, I'm going to get a video camera. I'm going to get some other guys. I know we'll do a few matches. It'll just be a lot of fun. We'll record it and it'll just be hilarious. And I just said, okay. And I remember Gil and I being like, I don't think he understood stands what he just did. And so anyway, the, the show, so the day comes and the, he brought some old guys from a, another ward, another state to come in and they were kind of goofing around and just laughing and being kind of goofy and powder puffing around. And Gil and I were watching these other guys. We were the main event and we were looking at them and I was just like, they, they have no idea what's coming. And so we went in there and I mean, we, we brought it. I mean, like chairs, tables, you know, uh, big metal bars. I mean, we were body slamming, power bombing. Like, I mean, it was just like no wrestling psychology at all. I had no idea what was going on. It was a typical backyard match. And back in the nineties, backyard wrestling was like a big deal because it had been all over reality TV and all these different things. And people knew about it. And there were all these backyard wrestling things popping up. So highly controversial. And uh, I ended up uh, getting a cut on my head and bleeding. It was just, it was like, it was crazy. And so um, anyway, so uh, Roy got a lot of crap for that. Like, uh, the stake president was not too happy about hearing about this. And, but here's what happened next, which I thought was really interesting. So about two or three weeks later, we had like a spiritual mutual night and I didn't show up. And the next Sunday, Roy pulled me aside and he said, listen, Josh, I stuck my neck out for you and did something really fun for your mutual for, for you specifically. So if you're going to do that, if I'm going to do that for you, I expect you to be here when we do something spiritual. Fair enough. And that's what I did. So I started coming to mutual every week and anytime Roy needed anything, I did it. You know, anytime he needed me to take a, a needed someone to take sacrament, he pointed at me and said, Josh, I think you should come with me. And he brought me with him. Then when, uh, when, it, you know, I turned uh, 18 and a half and he handed me the, the, you know, he and the bishop came to me and were like, we'd like you to start filling out mission papers. And as I was going through those things and I was doing those things, I was starting to feel the spirit more. And I was starting to enjoy church. I was starting to enjoy those things. And it helped me get to that place to even get on a mission to have my testimony go. Now, here's the thing. I'm sure the stake president would have preferred that Roy had not done that backyard wrestling mutual night. But I got to tell you, had that not happened, I don't know if I would have ever gone on a mission. Roy, you know, the, 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 the Savior shares a story in the Bible where they ask him about why he goes and ministers to these people who are, you know, uh, outcasts. And he says, what shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one gets lost does not leave the 99 and go after the one. Roy saw that I was potentially lost and he left the 99 who didn't care about wrestling and where it wasn't going to be involved in it. And he came and found the one and found me. And I got to tell you, I attribute all of my spiritual experiences to his willingness to stick his neck out and do something a little non-conventional. And I've paid that forward. 
I've paid that forward myself. I'll share another story. I was an elders quorum president. The missionaries were working. I can't remember if he was a less active or if he was a less active member or if he was investigating. But they had a member who or a guy who they were teaching who they were having a real hard time getting him to come to functions and meeting people for whatever reason. And so I I asked the missionaries at a correlation meeting, I said, well, what does he like to do? He said, he really likes MMA. And I said, well, wait a minute. Conor McGregor is going to be fighting Floyd Mayweather in a few weeks. I was thinking about getting the pay-per-view. Let's make it an elders corn party. And they were like, okay. And the my presidency was like, mm, can we do that? And I'm like, I don't know, but we're gonna, right? I thought for sure I was going to get, I was like, this is going to get me released for sure. I was like, this is great. I don't have to be an elders corn president anymore. This will be great. And uh, so we started getting to work. We bought a bunch of food. We get all these things. We send out the invites. Not only did we get this guy to show up, but we got 85 other people to show up as well from the ward. Less actives, non-members, active members. They all showed up and the missionary stopped by and was able to talk to all these people. So sometimes you have to do something a little unconventional and find the one. So hopefully more bishops will be open to doing that. Hopefully that's helpful. Okay, uh, one more. Josh, enjoying your podcast. I don't listen to all of them. I mainly listen to the wrestling podcasts. Well, if you listen to the wrestling podcast, keep listening because I got a couple in the can. I already gave up the Jake the Snake, but I got a, I got another one that I'm going to be excited about. Uh, I mainly listen to the wrestling podcast, but every one I do, even if it isn't right in my wheelhouse, I find something I can take away. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You always ask your three questions at the end. So I'm curious, what is your biggest regret? Keep it up. You are awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You're awesome. Uh, what is my biggest regret? Uh, I would say... Staying too long in a spot where I was made to believe that I was hard to love. Because um, nobody deserves that. So, uh, A lot of bad things have happened as a result. A lot of bad things. Um, and, I, and I've had to work through a lot of that. And it's and still am. Right. I mean, it's it's been a road to say the least. But, you know, the thing is, is. Um, I'm OK with it. Uh, maybe not 100 percent, but I'm I'm getting to the place where I'm OK with it. And that's taken a lot of work, but. I understand that everything that has happened to me shaped what I see in the mirror. 
And the guy I see in the mirror now is strong and he's healthy. He's driven. He's successful. He works hard. He gets up every morning, no matter what. He loves his kids. He's a good father. And he's a decent human being who legitimately cares about people, like really cares about them and, and wants what's best for them. Even the ones who've hurt him. And, you know, I really wouldn't trade that for the world. So, yeah, I'm strangely at peace with it. And I am so ready for what's coming next. I really am. So, okay, I think that is everything. So, um, this last month, just I'll wrap it up here. This last month of podcasting has been um, really interesting to me because I've seen a little bit of growth. The growth was not as much as normal, I think, uh, is specifically just around the holidays. I think people are just so busy. They're not listening to podcasts. I mean, it's not like I've lost. It's just it, it's not as big a growth, but it's still growing. I still got. I'm still adding subscribers every day, which I'm grateful for. Um, uh, but this has been an interesting month because of the level of of guests, like Robert Schaefer, you know. Um, and I've got a few more, you know, quote unquote name celebrities. You know, S Santino Morella, right? Like. I'm starting to get more people like that coming on and it adds a little bit of pressure um, because it's like, this is not, this isn't just like a fun thing I'm doing with my friends anymore. It's kind of becoming like a real thing. Um, but I've come to the conclusion that I'm not, you know, I'm not going to let it become pressure. This is it's it's become successful because of the way I handle it, and so I'm going to still do that. So if I get a chance to interview a celebrity, I'll, I'll take it. Um, you know, uh, but I'm not going to stop interviewing my friends. I'm not going to stop interviewing people I find interesting, um, regardless of whether they're going to, you know, hundreds or thousands of people are going to be interested in listening to them. If I'm interested in listening to them. Uh, I'm going to interview them. And uh, I got some really interesting stuff coming up in December, including we're coming up on 100, which means Austin Edlow is going to be coming on. And that's going to be exciting. I'm really interested in that one because he's my least of all of my kids. He is my least uh, public. He doesn't like, which is strange because he's, he's a lead singer uh, of a, of a rock band. He is in a choir where he sings in front of people all the time, but he just is very much not like, you know, he, he doesn't like, uh, you know, he doesn't like being the center of attention, which is so interesting. And so, but he's, you know, he's ready to come on. He knew, you know, episode 100 will be him. So, so that's going to be really meaningful to me too. So this is still fun. I'm grateful for all the questions. I'm grateful for all the, the thought-provoking stuff. Um, I, uh, I'm grateful for all of you. I hope you all just keep killing it. 
and uh, subscribe if you haven't already. Um, we will keep going uh, until the wheels fall off. And until then, have a good one, and we will see you soon.